one of the best bumper videos that we have ever made. It couldn't be more accurate uh, than that. And uh, I love it. I hope you, <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but we actually make our own videos. We as a, a church, uh, and these bumper videos are created and they're so clever. And this is probably one of the best ones uh, so far. Um, today we are hitting the second part. Uh, and second and last part of our series, Separation of Church and Hate. Um, here's the deal. Um, politics, politics makes people bonkers. It makes people bonkers. You've seen it for yourself. Once open-minded, level-headed people turning their backs on lifelong relationships and family members and, and spiritual communities, uh, people that have, have known and lived next to and served alongside each other for years aren't on speaking terms. Uh, they block each other on social. Did you know that? <laughs> I mean, I'm, some of you may not know that, but you can actually just mute someone for a small period of time. On social media. Yeah, you can actually, like, if they just like, yuckety, yuckety, and you just hit that button, and their feed won't come up for a short period of time. What an incredible feature. Anyway, let's move along, right? So we block each other on social media, and we won't even look each other at uh, each other in the eye at the grocery store, and some people have even opted not to even come to church for for for, for things like this. And so... We decided as a church, we wanted to, to address this. We wanted to speak into it. We wanted to talk about it, right? And so how do we survive this election with our souls intact, right? This message of Jesus has something significant and surprising to say about all of this election. I know some of you don't think so. I know uh, we've talked about it. Some of you are even leaving Jesus out of the election process. And I, and I addressed some of that last week when we talked about the unity, right? That we must be as Christians lead the way in, in, in when we do this and we must lead it in a way that brings about unity. But something about politics Politics makes us go bonkers, make us go cuckoo for cocoa puffs, and we try. We, we think it's crazy. I know people don't even like like people who live with each other won't even talk to each other during the elections. It is just bonkers. But I believe that the Bible and Jesus has something to say about it. And so this week, uh, as we wrap up this two-part series. Um, I thought I would have to change the title of my message to "Still Counting Election," right? It was, it was, it was. Listen, it was just the other day. I I just added this part, right? It was just the other day because I, I didn't know if when Sunday came around, would we be still counting? for this election, but I can officially say now that my message title is post-election, post-election. Now, this is not about who won and who lost, who you vote for, who you didn't, what you like and what you don't like, right? I'm not gonna get into that and no, you can ask me and I'm gonna tell you I voted for Jesus, right? So now that we got that cleared out of the way, I almost stole my neighbor's sign and said, vote Jesus. But then that would be kind of weird if I stole that from my neighbor, right? So what? What? So we're in this post-election, right? 
And so my question this morning is, was there ever a moment as a teen, when you were a teen, right? Because as a kid, you probably didn't care as much. But as a teen, was there ever a moment that you were absolutely convinced, right, that this world, well, your world at this point was very small, but that this world would uh, be going to be saved or destroyed by a single political election, even though you didn't understand what was going on. Was there in New York City? I didn't care about New York City, but there was this guy, as, as a young person, I was a young person, uh, he was Ed Koch. And Ed Koch was the mayor of New York City. I, I didn't even know who the president was at that time, nor did I care. But at that moment, the person who had the most power over my happiness as a teenager and a young kid was Ed Koch. And he had a big island in the middle, right, and just puffy hair on the side. And, uh, and he just, it was an older white man, and I thought he was way too old to be the mayor is way too old, but for whatever reason, he, I knew enough to know that he was the man in charge and whatever happened in New York City happened because he said it can happen, or so I thought. And then uh, there's after him, a, a guy named Dinkins, and, and he, was, he, he was the first, for me, the first African-American that I had seen in a political office at the, po- at the time. And I, I always thought about, I get it confused with Duncan, Duncan, Duncans, and I just, it was the quickest way to remember him, right? And, and so I remember those people, and for whatever reason, based on what I was taught and what I understood as a teenager, I felt like that person had power over how I would live my life. You see, every election that's happened since the time I was born has been the most important election of my lifetime. Think about that. Every election that you have been a part of has been the most important election of your lifetime. At least that's what we've all been told. Every single election is the most important election. No, no, but, but seriously, this one's different, we're told. There's so much more at stake now. Is what we hear, is what we read, is what we've come to understand. After every single election, there's a group of people who are absolutely devastated. They're devastated because they believe that the world is over now. And there's a naive according to them, that the world is now in a better place. It's now saved. And we all like winning, right? Nobody likes losing. I tell my kids all the time, there's no fun in a second-place trophy. As parents, that's just just how I see it. There is no fun coming home with a second-place trophy. Second-place trophies collect the most dust because nobody picks them up to show them. I've been an athlete all my life. I know you can't see it right now, but I've been an athlete all my life, and that's the way it's always been. There's no fun in second place. Sorry. Right? And so we all like winning. But what if, what if both groups are wrong? Both groups are wrong at every election. And I want you to think about that question. What if both groups are wrong at every election. 
As much as it seems like these two groups are completely at odds, they do have decided to allow a public poll to determine their level of personal peace. Right? Think about that. Think about everything that has transpired, whether it's this election, the previous election, your local election. Think about that, that in this poll, right, in this election, the one thing that is common is that they've decided, we have decided to allow a public poll to determine the level of our personal peace. If this person wins, then, oh, some of us are feeling, oh, I'm good. Oh, that's a great decision. Incredible. Also, the other person has determined, oh, my God, we're doomed now. Jesus has to be coming. Friends, it's one thing to be disappointed, but it's another thing to be completely devastated because it reveals something to us it reveals something to us that we may not want to admit about ourselves. When one group has won and another group has lost, those who are devastated, right, reveals one thing. And that is that we've placed our hope. We've placed our hope and trust in our candidate or in our party as opposed to our God. When we've allowed our ups and our downs, when we've allowed our life to be decided, whether we're choosing to be happy or sad, hopeful or not hopeful, based upon who is seated or who won the election, what we've said basically are saying is we're saying, hey, my hope, my joy, my peace is depending on whoever won and not on God. We can all think of people who do this, right? But doesn't it seem a whole lot like, like more people do it than they actually know that they're doing it? What if one of those people was you? What if one of those people was you and you just didn't realize it and 100% sold on it just yet? How would you know if you've sunk more trust in politics than maybe you should? How would you know today that, that you, are, you are trusting more in, in, in what happened in the elections than you put in Jesus Christ? Let me give you a couple of diagnostic indicators for you to judge and see for yourself, okay? So don't, don't, don't go around, Pastor, he's calling me out. That's not what I'm doing. But I'm just giving you some, some of these things that maybe you can gauge by, okay? If, uh, let's see here. If you found yourself thinking, man, if we can just get this person into office or that person out of office, everything will be okay. If you've ever said something like, if they win, I'm moving out of the country. Or if they, were, they win, those, this world is, is over and hope is lost. 
can just pass this law or overturn that ruling, then, man, life would be just incredible. If you think that you've been, you being persecuted at any time, you encounter and you've put more of your hope in politics than in Jesus. If you've ever justified treating someone hatefully because of their political views, well, you don't have to all raise your hand. I've seen your Facebook stuff. If you've ever said, I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote for. If you've ever walked away from a friendship because you now know how this person who was your friend voted. If you post more about politics than you do about your faith. We're in somebody's kitchen this morning. If you spend more time, uh, more of your day doing, uh, going down a political rabbit hole of inherent conspiracy theories than you have reading your Bible, praying, and connecting with God. Oh, Shabbat, somebody speak this morning. If you've spent more time trying to talk someone out of voting for a certain candidate than you have been trying to talk someone into coming to church with you. Amen. If you've allowed external restrictions to limit your internal capacity for peace and connection with God, then maybe, maybe you are more focused on putting your hope and your trust on an election, on a political party, than you are on Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. I know I joked about it a little bit. In all honesty, I, I can check some of those boxes if I was transparent and honest this morning. More boxes than I, I like to admit. But it's not who I want to be. It's not who I want to be, and I know it's not who any of us are called to be. But we're not alone in this. People have always been tempted to believe the right political savior will fix their spiritual problems. You can find it through scripture over and over again where people fixated their hearts, their hopes, their dreams on someone of power and authority, a king, a certain side for their peace, for their joy. And I'm not just talking about the history of democracy here. I'm talking about the history of humanity. In fact, there, uh, again, there are countless of stories in the Old Testament, but it was particularly important in the days of Jesus. Mark chapter 12, verse 13 and 14a says, Later, the leader spent, uh, some, sent some Pharisees and supporters to Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now, as I said before, when you pull that scripture just that excerpt of scripture, you pull it out without getting into context, 
you don't see nothing wrong with it. But when you add the context of what was going on and what was happening, it changes the story. You see, you're impartial and don't play favorites, which has annoyed us. This is what they're really saying, which has annoyed us, Jesus. Why are you so wishy-washy? Pick a lane. Which political stance is, is God for and which is he against? Who, whose side is God on? And that was what they were basically trying to get at, right? They were trying to, hey, Jesus, pick a side here, dude. Come on, let us know. Don't be so wishy-washy. Let's continue to read. Mark chapter 12, verse uh, 14 and 15. It says, teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes or to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through the hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. Now Jesus Jesus sees their hypocrisy, right? Why are you trying to, to trap me? Which was Jesus' way of saying, you don't really want to know what God thinks. You want God to rubber stamp what you already think. You see that? Jesus knows what they're saying to him. Jesus knows what they're, what they're implying. And he says, yeah, you don't really want to know what God thinks. What you're trying to do is catch me in this, right? Approve what you already came in wanting him to approve. So let's be real here, church. If Jesus happens to agree with all of your political opinions, then you're probably not following Jesus. I'll say that again. If Jesus happens to agree with all of your political opinions, then you're probably not following Jesus. You're actually trying to get Jesus to follow you. Now, I understand that. That's, 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 that's hard to, to, to get. But when we go around wanting Jesus to, or God to rubber stamp our political opinion about this and about that, because that's how you feel, because that's how, what you want, are we actually allowing God to lead us? Are we actually in a relationship with Jesus, or are we telling Jesus now, what he should be doing. And friends, that's when things go sideways. Mark 12, 15b through 17, it says, should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I will tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Verse 17, well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God. Now this exchange is about image, ownership, and authority. 
coins back then bear the image of it bared the image of the emperor, right? But humans, you and I, we bear the image of God. And he's saying, you want me to tell you that you can break the rules you don't like, but I want to honor, I want you to honor the authority that you don't agree with. Right? Some of us, we read that scripture, thought, oh, just Jesus is trying to get this little small point across. Oh, but it's so much deeper than that. Jesus said, man, give the emperor, give the king, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Last time I checked, just me, none of you in here had the image of Trump or Biden. If you do, let me know. I would like to see it. As long as it's in an appropriate place. <laughs> right? Because the Bible says that we were called into his image. We were called in his image. We were made in his image. And so the only image that I could find in the scripture is of God. But somehow we've allowed the world the political view of people say, listen, if it bears Trump or if it bears Biden, that's where that's who I, I belong to. No, 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 no. You were made in his image. His image being God's image. You see, this this small thing, this coin. This exception, this requirement, this policy that you don't like and have blown into a big thing, let them have it. Let them have it. But more importantly, I want you to remember today that God imprinted his image on you and your life, and you ultimately belong to him. Those who believe belong to Jesus, belong to God. In fact, he created, whether you believe or you don't believe, he created all mankind. And by him doing so, kind of stamps us to belong to him. But most of us have flipped this around. God, God, you can have this, this little thing, an hour and a half every Sunday, Lord. I, I give you that. Oh, God, I'm giving you so much on Sundays. This hour and a half every Sunday, I'm going to give it to you. But the bulk of my hope, the bulk of my trust, the bulk of my peace, the bulk of my faith, the bulk of my allegiance during this week, during the week, Lord, oh, that belongs to the politics. That belongs to the politicians. That belongs to Trump. And the Republican Party. That belongs to Biden and the Democratic Party. That belongs to everyone else, but it does not belong to you, Jesus. It does not belong to you, God, because I've given you one hour, maybe an hour and a half if I stretch it and stay around for the donuts. Uh, I've given you that hour and a half during my week. Church, 
People have always wanted a political messiah, right? People have always wanted a political messiah, but a political messiah cannot save you. It cannot save you and your family. It cannot save this community. It cannot save the the states. It cannot save the country. It cannot save the world. What you... What we need, what you need, what I need, we need is a spiritual Messiah. A spiritual Messiah. We need the, to, we need the person that created us, the one that is capable of filling us with peace, love, joy, and hope. You see, during Jesus' lifetime, a lot of people believed that he was the Messiah. What they disagreed on was what kind of Messiah was he? They, like us, believed politics would save them. And so when, when people started talking about Jesus is the Messiah and started prophesying, be like, oh, Jesus is the Messiah, but what kind of Messiah is he? Because this is what we need to be fixed right now. Can he fix that? If he can't, then I'm going to go to this Messiah. Because that's what Palm Sunday was. Right? Think about that. That's what palms celebrate him. Two days later, they're shouting, crucify him. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they, they celebrate, oh, the, you know, here he comes, here he's here, oh, my God. He's the man, he's the Messiah. And then two days later on Good Friday, right, Decide, oh, you, you, you're not the Messiah. We need to crucify you. And what's, what's crazy was that it was largely the same people. It was the same people that said, oh, he, you know, here he comes. <sighs> Throw down our coats, you know, <laughs> make a way for him. And they're the same people who said crucify him. Why? Because once they figured out that he wasn't going to push their political agenda, once they realized that he wasn't going to, to say, yes, you can do that. Yes, by all means, don't give Caesar what Caesar deserves. You know, yeah, you can't do what you want, right? When they realized that he wasn't going to push their political agenda, he was now useless to them. He was a means to an end. They weren't really serving him. They were interested in him serving their interests. Do you see the difference? The parade and the crucifixion were two different kinds of kingdom. The parade and the crucifixion were two different kinds of kingdoms. The parade was about our people taking power and asserting our will, but the cross is about do you see the difference of what transpired? The parade was about our people taking power and asserting our will, but the cross is about and that's a tough pill to swallow, church. Everybody wants to, wants to will, right? Most people are happy to join in on a victory parade. Oh, there's a parade going on? Woo, 
let's go, yeah, yeah. Let's cheer them on, right? It's, it's fun. It is it's good stuff, right? But it takes a lot of inner work to be able to take up your cross and follow Jesus. It requires us to work. It requires us to be different. It requires us to separate ourselves from the rest of the pack. And that's, what I, that's the problem I see with Christianity today. I believe that many of us are not willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus the way we need to. We'd rather be in the in crowd and be like, go whoever that person is. Because if we take up our cross to follow Jesus, it's going to require us to work. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says this, I quote, C.S. Lewis observed that almost all crimes of Christian history have come out, have come about when religion is confused with politics. Politics, which always runs by the rules of ungrace, allures us to trade away grace for power, a temptation the church has often been unable to resist. That's deep. Why? Because people have always been tempted to believe that all the things they're desperate for deep down inside, hope, joy, peace, can be found in politics. Think about that. That's why we voted the way we voted, because we believe that particular person can bring about hope, peace, joy. Another way to say it would be, blessed are the powerful because the problems are over. But Jesus says something altogether different. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 10, he brings about the Beatitudes. And I don't know if you've ever read the Beatitudes, but man, they're so powerful. I'll read... It says in verse 3, God blesses those who are poor and realize they need their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. In verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And he said these things to people longing for their preferred political figure or party to take place so that they could be saved. And maybe you're thinking, wait a minute. I hunger hard into the politics side of things. That's why I voted the way I did. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with voting because there isn't. We need to vote. But do you go about it in a way that's humble, pure in heart, merciful, peacemaking, and acknowledges the sovereignty of God? Philip Yancey says this in another part. For some reason, the most 
but often with tears in their eyes, they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. And of course, that's Moses, not Jesus. I haven't heard one of them demand that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, be posted anywhere. So church, does your behavior, does your behavior make the way of Jesus seem desirable or repulsive to outsiders? When people read your post, did it make people want to find Jesus and get into a relationship with Jesus, come to know Jesus better, or did it actually push people away from Jesus? You see, the Jewish believers in Jesus' day never saw their political dreams take hold. But their faith wasn't shaken because they had come to believe that something bigger than a political figure was holding the universe together and that it was guiding the ultimate story of humanity and guarding our hearts and our minds. This is what kept them sane. This is what kept them in, in, in together and united. Colossians uh, 1, 15 to 20 says, Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme above all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together Christ is also for all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. Verse 19, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I want to encourage you to find that scripture. 1 Corinthians 5.19 says, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be, uh, more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Friends, this is what came to be known as the gospel, the good news the gospel that you and I should be sharing wherever we go, that our hope is in Jesus, not power, not money, not politics. And it's a good thing that as, that as true, that this is true now, just as it was back then, because the Roman Empire doesn't exist anymore. The Roman Empire doesn't exist. Caesar's coin doesn't exist. It's, it, you, you, it doesn't exist anymore, right? The temples back then didn't exist anymore. The greatest Caesar, uh, the greatest Caesar in it is a footnote, right? It's a, it's a small footnote in the history, in the story of a rabbi from Galilee. Kingdoms come and go, church. Empires rise and fall, church. Parties grab and hold and lose power. Politics has never and will never save us all. And to those then who like us now, 
that were tempted to believe that, that, that they had power who were tempted to believe that, that they, the politicians, were the ones that we could put our hope and our trust in. I want to tell you what Jesus said. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Church, he did. He has it is still here, and it will still be there tomorrow. So let me wrap this up. So now that we have a president-elect and a vice president, where do we go from here? How do we, how do we begin to shift our mindsets from political to spiritual? Because guess what? Truth is, it's been voted. There's nothing we can do about what's been voted now. If your person won, you are excited and happy. If your person lost, you are not happy nor excited. But I said last week, we need to be unified. The church needs to be unified. There has to be something about loving each other that's important and at the forefront of our hearts and our minds. So where do we go from here? How do we begin to shift our mindsets from political to spiritual? Here are a few things I would suggest to adopt over the next few weeks. Number one, pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Oh, who's my enemy? Well, there's a bunch of people. The people that you didn't vote for, you see them as your enemies. The people that didn't join your political opinion, you see them as your enemies. The people that are against you, you see them as your enemies. So pray for your enemies. Find a way to serve those who most frustrate you, who get on your nerves who you didn't like going into the campaign and you definitely don't like them after the campaign. Find a way to serve those. We need to see each other as people, as those created by God in his image, not people to try to convince that they're wrong or they're right, to change their opinion, but people that we need to understand and honor and respect Number three, memorize and meditate on the Beatitudes. You do that, you're going to go a long way. Godly wisdom and insight. I actually found, my wife found it and on social media, and I wanted to share this with you. I'm not taking credit for it, but, man, I, my heart aligns with this so much. And I believe the heart of Jesus would align with this. Kamala Harris, she is loved. Donald Trump is fearfully and wonderfully made. Mike Pence, he is cherished. Joe Biden is important enough that Jesus died for him. At the end of the day, guys, 
if we don't let what God put inside of us, if we don't let what God created us to do to, to shine out there, We're not living the life of Christians. We are called to love. And whether you agree or you don't agree with the president and the vice president and the Democratic Party and, and whatever party, whatever friends you have that you don't agree with them or you don't, that's okay. You don't agree with them, but you are called to love them. And you need to know that God died for them just as he died for us. For your opinion, for your views. Amen.